So it is three o'clock. Hello and welcome to the Middle East Forums webinar series, Israel Insider with Mr. Ashley Perry. I'm Stacy McKenna and I will be moderating this discussion today. We are pleased to have Mr. Ashley Perry, advisor to the Middle East Forums Israel office. Join us here each Wednesday, except for next week and the week after because of Passover, at 3 p.m. Eastern to update us on everything Israeli. Mr. Perry will be giving us a briefing on current Israeli affairs for roughly 10 to 15 minutes then it'll open it up for questions. Should you wish to ask a question, please use the Q&A box located at the bottom of your screen at any time. We will do our best to get to all questions, but we have many participants on this webinar today, so I apologize in advance if we do not get to yours. And now with no further ado, I'll turn the discussion over to Ashley Perry. Thank you, Stacy, and good afternoon or good evening to those uh, in Israel or Europe. Um, it's been quite a week. Uh, for those who were here last week, I talked uh, generally about how Israeli politics had turned into a bit of a sort of uh, 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 who, who could blink first between the prime minister and the leader of the opposition, uh, Benny Gantz. And I said that there was really no alternative to a unity government and everything else was just posturing and trying to get the best deal. And Within hours, it seemed that uh, you know uh, everything turned on its head. I certainly didn't predict it would be hours. I thought it would be days. But uh, you know, really, uh, the history of the state of Israel has been uh, rife with real unexpected political moves, and I don't think there was any more unexpected turn of events that happened last Thursday, where many people expected a relatively easy. Um, job of transferring the Knesset Speaker's Office to someone in blue and white in the Ishatid faction. But in the end, uh, there was absolute drama when the blue and white party, the main party in the opposition, basically split into two, or even perhaps a bit less. And uh, one could argue that this time last week, Benny Gantz had definitely the better cards to play. He had the numbers to gain the uh, position of the speaker's chair, which is absolutely vital. He had the numbers to pass legislation that would threaten the political future of the prime minister by passing laws that would not, that would disbar a prime minister under uh, indictments, criminal indictments from uh, continuing as prime minister. So one would argue that he had all the cards. And uh, as I described it, there was a game of chicken. Who would leak first? One would think that maybe Prime Minister would because of Benny Gantz's uh, very good hand, but in the end we saw Benny Gantz blink first. Um, he pretty much, you could argue, gave up all of his cards. He joined the Netanyahu government, uh, or they're now filling out the final details. It's been called a national unity government, but it will pretty much be the right-wing bloc plus uh, Benny Gantz's uh, section of Blue and White, which will retain the title of uh, Bill White, the Yeshatid, and part of the Telem faction, which is Moshe Yalon's uh, faction, will remain uh, in the opposition with Israel Betenu and the United Arab List. And uh, interestingly enough, Netanyahu now has, again, according to, uh, to reports, he actually may even have 61 MKs, even without uh, Benny Gantz's faction, which makes Benny Gantz's hand even weaker. And, uh, you know, as negotiations go on, there's all sorts of leaks. Who's going to get what? What are the issues that are holding it up? 
there's basically what seems to be a, a small amount of issues. There are certain uh, ministry positions which are still up for debate. One of them is the Justice Ministry. Justice Ministry is very important because Prime Minister Netanyahu would like to keep that uh, for his block or at best not give it to someone seen as unfavorable to his political woes. So there's a debate at the moment who will get it within Gaz's party. Uh, another ministry which is uh, very important, especially at this time, is the health ministry. And we see that the current health uh, minister or deputy minister, there's a whole history to why he's deputy not minister, uh, Yaakov Litzman of the ultra-Orthodox Ashkenazi party wants to retain that position, but uh, Benny Gantz wants to take it away. And he's even prepared to give up the foreign ministry, which is considered one of the top 10 ministries, uh, in exchange for taking over the uh, health ministry. Other issues which remain to be ironed out are, there's a lot, been a lot of talk in um, placing Israeli sovereignty on territory, either in all of the West Bank, Judea and Samaria, or at least parts of it. Uh, this goes back to the Trump peace plan, which allowed all of uh, the major Israeli settlements and the majority of the area to remain under Israeli control, even after a, a peace agreement. This was what was laid out in that uh, ceremony in the White House that was attended by Prime Minister Netanyahu and various other dignitaries. And Prime Minister Netanyahu and many of the people, and he could, in fact, most of the people in his block, would like to see Israel uh, placing uh, sovereignty over much of Judea and Samaria in the West Bank. Uh, according to reports, Benny Gantz wants to wait on that, wants not to move forward without American permission, something which I don't think uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu will either, but it's certainly something to be ironed out. And also there are other issues, you know, do they get freedom of vote on certain issues or do they have to follow uh, coalition discipline? That's also a very, very important point. Um, and surprisingly or stunningly, in the last hour, there's been a whole debate exactly where the Prime Minister Netanyahu will live after he lives uh, his position in a year and a half, because that's what's been uh, supposedly ironed out between the parties. Netanyahu would rule for a year and a half, and then Benny Gantz would take over the second year and a half. Um, amazingly, this issue's come out that they would build a second prime ministerial residence, or Prime Minister Netanyahu would remain in the Prime Minister's residence beyond it. I mean, we're talking about really silly issues, but Probably, to my mind, this is more spin than anything else. This is trying to color the views of the opposing side. Blue and White are doing it, Likud are doing it. Uh, but I do believe within the coming days that there will be, you know, I predicted this last week and I, and I still stand by that, that there will be a unity government within a few days, uh, certainly by the end of the Passover holiday. Um, there are those who suggest that uh, Netanyahu is trying to wait for as long as possible so um, Benny Gantz has to return the mandate he was given by the president to form a government. Uh, after 28 days he has to hand it back and then Netanyahu would be given that uh, position probably, most likely. Um, but if Benny Gantz has to give that back then Netanyahu is an even stronger hand to be able to you know place his ambitions higher than his opposite number. So there are those who say that uh, Netanyahu is trying to hold out then there's also the Yamina party, which is the right-wing religious uh, party, uh, which is also holding out. They don't feel that they're getting uh, what they believe they deserve. And again, 
as usually happens with these coalition negotiations, when you have to give a certain amount of ministries to uh, other parties, then people in the Likud feel that are done by. And there's, that has to be sorted out because there's a lot of people in Likud who believe that they should be ministers. Currently, they have 16 ministries and they probably won't get 16 ministries at the end of it, and certainly not some of the highest level ones because they have to give them to coalition partners. Um, so that's pretty much the political level. On the economic level, it's, it's been a very dire week as it has been all over the world. Israel moved in the last few weeks from 4% unemployment to over 25%. Almost a million Israelis are unemployed as of this month, or let's just say, almost a million extra than, than before. So you can imagine, as, as I'm sure it is happening in many other parts of the world, that that really is a, a dire situation. Prime Minister Netanyahu just got, uh, just held a press conference in the last few minutes and talked about giving uh, some financial assistance to families before Pesach, giving 500 shekels, uh, which I believe is $140, something like $120 uh, per family, per child, and also giving stipend to the elderly and the infirm. Um, so that's on the economic front. Uh, on the security level, interestingly enough, in Israel, there hasn't really been any major uh, security issues recently. But the, one of the major issues which have got a lot of commentators talking about is the Secretary, uh, Defense Secretary Pompeo talked recently about allowing certain sanctions to be relieved on Iran during uh, the coronavirus uh, spread because Iran is one of those countries which is suffering the most. Um, and again, we sort of, you know, going back to the analogy of this game of chicken for a number of years now, Donald Trump, President Trump, has really kept to obviously an opposing line to his predecessor who created or was a major factor behind the Iran nuclear deal. And obviously, tr President Trump broke that and put back in many of the sanctions, if not more harsh sanctions. And now there is, seems to be talk and seems to be some movement to perhaps relieve some of these sanctions. That will certainly be seen uh, probably negatively here in Jerusalem, uh, because as we've seen ever since the JCPOA, the Iran nuclear uh, agreement was signed, Iran basically didn't keep to, to it. So this 12 month, uh, breakout that was uh, initially talked about under uh, President Obama's term, the time it would take uh, for Iran to have a nuclear uh, warhead, it's, that's already been smashed. We're talking about three to six months. So any relief from sanctions, there is a worry that that time can even decrease further and Iran could be a lot further down the road uh, to nuclear weapons capability. So that's something that is, uh, worries Israel certainly. Um, so I think I've spoken for about 10, 11 minutes, but I'd really like to hear what you guys, uh, you know, what your questions, and then I'm happy to answer any and all of them. Thank you so much for that update. First one we have here is, is Gantz a hero for compromising in order to avoid another election and allow for creation of a government during this crisis, or was he duped? <laughs> I guess it depends where you stand. If you stand uh, in Yeshatid, which was uh, a major part, which was Yair Lapid's party, is Yair Lapid's party, uh, a major part of Blue and White, they feel utterly disappointed. They feel extremely angry for three elections. 
Benny Gantz has said that his bottom line, his red line is he will not join a Netanyahu-led government. And that is what their thousands of activists. The interesting thing is Yishatid um, is the party that actually existed before. Benny Gantz was a newcomer. He created a new party. Yale appeared to had all the infrastructure. It was their activists who were taken to the streets, going around holding uh, you know, meetings or whatever, telling everyone there was no way we would join a Netanyahu-led government. Uh, so they feel extremely aggrieved by it. And I've spoken to some people involved with the party, from MKs to advisors to uh, the activists themselves, and they are extremely angry. If you see the WhatsApp groups, the level of anger is, they feel extremely disappointed in Benny Gantz, the person that they uh, you know, stood by and stood behind. Uh, on the other hand, and I would say probably most Israelis believe it was a good thing that Gantz did. It was a brave thing. His internal polling, which uh, has been shown uh, quite a lot uh, throughout the media, showed that his people, his supporters, wanted this move. They support this move. And certainly the people, uh, Netanyahu's supporters, and the good supporters certainly uh, support this. So I, I would say the majority of Israelis would, would go down on the side that this was a brave move, it was a necessary move, especially in this time of uh, corona crisis, economic crisis, and everything else. So I think the majority of Israelis, not a massive uh, majority, but a, certainly a majority of Israelis uh, see this as a brave move. Great, thank you. Um, so along those lines, what in your opinion are the issues that Netanyahu and Gantz completely agree upon, but which are opposed by other specific factions? It's unfortunately, uh, we haven't heard too much about specific policies. Uh, at this point, it's all about which ministries they're going to take. The only real policy that we're hearing uh, is, or it's actually a, a, a deviation of thought here, there's a difference of opinion here, is, as I said before, the issue of uh, placing sovereignty on the West Bank, Judea, and Samaria. Uh, Gantz wants to wait, Netanyahu wants to do that. Some say that's going to be his legacy, that's why he can afford to leave after a year and a half, or not leave completely politics, but, um, but leave the prime minister's office. That's what he wants as his legacy. Um, and even, as I said, you, you see the Yamina party, which is the right-wing uh, religious party, which is demanding that Netanyahu commit to sovereignty within, I think it's 30 days, or they won't join the government. That's a threat. I don't, my personal belief is they won't follow through with that. Um, and I don't think there'll be necessarily a time uh, put to this because Netanyahu could argue that there is what's supposed to be before the coronavirus um, started, that uh, the American and the Israeli teams were supposed to sit down to really work on the details of exactly what would become part of uh, Israeli sovereignty and what wouldn't. So I think Netanyahu can argue to his more right-wing uh, partners we just have to wait, let's do it properly, let's do it with American cooperation and coordination. Uh, so that's really the main issue. It's hard to see, because we've had three elections which have been mostly personality-based. It's been, do you trust uh, Benny Gantz or do you trust uh, Netanyahu? Unfortunately, as we see in other places around the world, policies have been uh, left by the wayside. Um, I don't think there's massive uh, differences on many different levels, whether it is security, whether it is foreign policy, whether it's economic, between the two men personally. Maybe other people in their parties certainly have differences of opinion. 
Um, but I think we'll, we'll hear a little bit, we'll have a little bit more clarity when we see a little bit more about the coalition guidelines, hopefully in the coming days. Thank you. So you mentioned Iran in this, but what is the situation regarding COVID and the security on the northern front in Lebanon? I mean, you know, Israel knows that at any point it can be attacked from multiple uh, points, whether it's from the north, from the north-east, uh, um, from the southwest with Hamas and uh, Islamic Jihad. So the Israeli army is certainly not standing down, not, uh, you know, that there's been a lot of call-ups in recent days. Uh, the situation in Israel, as again, we see is happening in the US with the National Guard and many other places, the army is taking a little bit more of a role in trying to stop the spread of coronavirus, whether it is distributing food parcels, whether it's keeping order on the streets. Um, but in Israel, you know, we have a, a mandatory army, so we have a standing army of a certain, a certain population, and then uh, people who, who have served in the army, like myself, are supposed to do a certain amount of days every year uh, of service. So they're calling a lot of uh, those people up, especially in the home front, those people who can deal with the logistics of, uh, as I said, helping the government uh, deal with the coronavirus issue. Today, remarkably, they're talking about shutting down various areas, but there's a high uh, percentage of coronavirus. They're talking about B'nai Brak, which is an Orthodox Jewish area, and Southern Tel Aviv, the area of Jaffa, which is got a high Arab population. Today, they tried to arrest uh, an Arab man in Jaffa who uh, was uh, outside his quarantine and it led to massive riots and the burning of streets and we saw massive riots so definitely that's an area which the Israeli police and the Israeli army as backup will be looking over and also closing down I'm sure that these two areas won't be the uh, the last uh, they're certainly the first but uh, but as I said the Israeli army is on standby there's a lot going on I'm sure there'll be a lot of players and there are a lot of players uh, hostile players in the region who will look to take advantage of, you know, the, the, the lack of attention, let's say. But in Israel, we, we, we know and we're pretty confident that, um, that we have the security apparatus who are keeping a close eye on uh, the situation in the north and the south. Thank you. So with regard to Iran, can sanction relief be dependent on nuclear disarmament? Well, I think that that's been the equation for many, many years. Um, and that's the one that the, you know, the Obama administration was pushing and the Europeans uh, certainly agreed to and they still agree to. But as we've seen, there's been, in the past when there's been sanctions relief, Iran has certainly not played their part uh, and they've carried on towards nuclear uh, weapons capabilities. So in theory, yes, that is the equation. And that's what everyone would like to see because there's no reason to keep Iran under sanctions except for, I mean, not just for its uh, nuclear weapons capability, but also the actions it, it takes in the region, whether it's in uh, its proxies in, in Lebanon, in Syria, in Iraq, in Yemen, and, and other places. So it's, it's a very malevolent uh, uh, you know, regime in the region. And we certainly in Israel would not be too happy uh, with seeing uh, sanctions lifted at this point. The pressure has to be kept up. If there can be a way to get some sort of relief to the people, uh, circumventing the regime but as we know with Iran it's extremely difficult and no one has yet been able to find a way to do that. Thank you. So we've gotten quite a few questions about Lieberman's role in this. Um, 
Is his party now joining the unity government? Um, is there religious cons conscription issues going to remain a focus in Israel? He's not going to join the government. He said that. Um, that's not to say that he cannot uh, support the government on various issues, especially uh, surrounding the threat. Um, his line has been in the last few days that the government is failing uh, on the economic front. Uh, his argument would be, whereas it's been pretty decisive on trying to combat the spread of the coronavirus, uh, it's been relatively indecisive on helping out, as I said, the almost a million extra people uh, in the unemployment section, uh, a crashing economy, and we've been very slow as a country to react to some of the uh, some of the factors not directly uh, related to the uh, virus itself. Um, the issues with the ultra-Orthodox enlistment has been pretty much an issue for him for 20 years, and it will remain an issue. And it's actually expanded into other areas, like whether there should be freedom uh, to open certain supermarkets or public life on the Sabbath. That's certainly an issue which is very important, whether uh, marriage and other uh, religious moments in, in, you know, in, in the life cycle should be expanded beyond the ultra-Orthodox control, as he would say it. Um, so these are still very much issues, and these are issues which he has very much in common with Yeh Lapid and Yeshatid. Both of them will be uh, in the opposition, but as we've seen in Israel, the opposition doesn't really have that, you know, it lacks a lot of teeth, because as soon as the government has the 61 plus, uh, they can pretty much pass whatever laws they want and the two major ultra-orthodox parties will be within that government so i'm sure Avito Lima will take every opportunity to attack the government not just on religion and state issues but i believe also on right-wing issues he's been a big critic on uh, the israeli government's position towards hamas in fact that's the reason he left the government uh november 2018 so I think he'll take any opportunity to bash the government, you know, as, as anyone in the opposition will do uh, on, on various issues, but I think those will be his uh, focal points. Thank you. So we have a few questions about the joint Arab list and Gantz. Is there any animosity between them? And then on the flip side, what, to what extent was reliance on the joint Arab list the poison pill for Gantz? I think it's clear that Gantz was only using the joint Arab list as pretty much so was Lieberman and Lapid. No one ever really expected a government including the joint Arab list or even their support beyond, as I said, this. They just wanted to hang this threat over Netanyahu. Uh, Netanyahu it remains, to be, uh, remains to be seen how much he bought into that. In fact, by the way, the, the threat still is there and even some in Gantz's party say I can you know, if I don't get what I want in negotiations, I can always go back to that block with our 61 and pass the uh, legislation that would disbar Netanyahu from uh, becoming or re retaining the prime ministership. But I think that's an empty threat. Uh, I, I don't think you can turn back to the former partners that he spurned and suddenly ask for their forgiveness and to fall into line. Um, so I think that's a completely empty threat. But the Arab list, I don't know how much they really expected ever to be in the government. I'm not even sure they wanted to be in the government, but I'm sure like pretty much all the other opposition members, they were caught by surprise with uh, Gantz's sudden about turn. Um, and uh, probably it's going to take a, a while for them to 
have any trust between them. Thank you. This is a question we're all wondering about. How stable is the Iranian regime with the long-standing water and economic issues and now the widespread corona issues? Is there overthrow of the, is the overthrow of the Ayatollahs possible? I'm not an Iran expert, um, but we've seen the longevity of this regime. We've seen it uh, suffer greater challenges in the past with uprising, civilian uprising, and they seem to come out of it uh, pretty well. So this is a regime very much, uh, you know, that that's, it's, it's very difficult to see it being weakened because they have the apparatus of state, they have control over so many aspects and facets of life that I don't think regime change is in the offing. I don't think it's, uh, I'm not saying it's impossible, um, but at this current moment in time, yes, there are certain groups of people, large groups, maybe even a majority, it's impossible to know, who certainly would like to change the regime from within. Um, but uh, none, of these have, none of these people have any of the levers of state. The recent parliamentary elections, basically anyone not holding some of the most extreme positions are basically barred from office, barred from even running. So the regime still has, I would say, almost full control over uh, their country. And I don't see that uh, changing anytime soon. Thank you. What has been the damage to Likud from so many of Netanyahu's former Likudniks <laughs> leaving for other parties? It's a good question. Um, you know, if you look around, you see Bennett, you see Liebman, Shaked, you see Yalon. Uh, and people like Hauser and Hendel weren't necessarily Likudniks, but they worked very closely with Netanyahu. So, I'm assuming that the question also refers to people like them. Um, I think the aim is eventually for most, if not all of them at some point, to want to try and get back to the could, but they know probably that will happen in a post-Bibi scenario. Some of them perhaps could, you know, if Hendel and Hauser from the Talent party, uh, Yalon's party who, who broke off, I think they're called Derek Heretz now, a new party even after elections, uh, only in Israel. Um, so they've joined uh, the coalition and how long Derek Heretz remains a separate party. And I, I, I would assume that it won't be long for them uh, to, I would say return to the Likud party, but to return to, uh, probably to, to join the Likud party at some point, because that is probably their most natural place ideologically. Um, but I think that there are a lot of people who are just waiting for this post-BB scenario and probably have been for a couple of years. And, we'll probably have to wait for at least a year and a half, if not longer. Thank you. Why couldn't Gantz have formed a minority government, pass the legislation to bar Netanyahu from being prime minister to keep the faith with his electorate and then formed a national unity government? He could have. I mean, he had the numbers, as I said before. The reason I believe he didn't is his polls were telling him something different and also I think that uh, there's a certain fear around the longevity of Netanyahu. You see that within the Likud. There is no love lost for Netanyahu within the Likud. If, you, if I count the top six, seven or eight within the Likud after Netanyahu, they, some of them despise him at the very best. They mistrust, they have a lot of mistrust for him. Um, so I think that there are a lot of people who would love to see the last day of Netanyahu, and certainly his opponents would like to see that. 
But I think Gantz realized that probably the minority government certainly wasn't going to happen. He could have passed this legislation, but that would have left the country perhaps in limbo. And Netanyahu would have called on his people to rally around and make it impossible for Likud to join. And then we would have been going to a fourth elections and Gantz would have probably been blamed. And then maybe, possibly, the next elections would have seen his party decimated. So I think, you know, his, his people would certainly say that this was the least worst option and probably the only one that he had on the table. So he had to take it while he could. Um, and that's pretty much why we find ourselves uh, where we are today. As I said, he could have theoretically taken another path and we will never know what would have happened if he, if he did. Perhaps there would have been a coup within the Likud. Um, but we've seen before, whenever there's been an attempt to shunt Netanyahu's side, he's such an astute politician. He's a very clever strategist. And I'm sure he's, he, he saw all these maneuvers happening and he probably sent messages out to Gantz and told him that's not happening. It's either a unity government or fourth elections and you don't want fourth elections. So I think that was probably what swayed Gantz in the end. Thank you so much. So we've uh, come to the end, but there was one last interesting question that came in. Uh, is there any direct data on how the Palestinians are handling coronavirus? And are you aware of any emergency programs Israel is ready to set in motion to assist them in the fight? Yes, I mean, there has been extremely good uh, coordination. I think the World uh, Health Organization put out a communique or made a statement recently lauding coordination between Israel and the Palestinians. Quite frankly, because we are so intertwined, uh, you know, if Israel manages to get rid of coronavirus, but the Palestinians don't, it will just seep back into Israel very quickly and vice versa. Uh, Palestinians uh, are suffering uh, from it. They have a certain amount dead. I can't remember how many, not as many as Israel, uh, but it's spreading uh, areas around Bethlehem, uh, not far from here. Um, has been in lockdown for quite a while. Um, I've even spoken to some of my Palestinian friends who live not far from where, where I'm talking to you from, who are in complete lockdown. They have no access to supermarkets, to anything, and they are suffering as a result of this lockdown. Uh, but what I do know is there's extremely close, close coordination between uh, the highest levels, the, uh, the Palestinian Authority in Israel, because regardless of politics, ideology, at the end of the day, this virus knows no borders, it knows no politics, and knows no ideology. So if Israel is going to get out of this, and the Palestinians are going to get out of it, we're going to have to do it together. Thank you so much for another fantastic webinar. We have come to the close. Thank you all for joining us today. And just as a reminder, we will be sending out an invitation for a different day, Monday or Tuesday, for Israel Insider next week because of Passover. And on Friday, we will be having a webinar at 1 p.m. Eastern with Cliff Smith of The Washington Project and Sam Westrop of Islamist Watch to speak on uncovering terror funding and foreign aid, the Islamic Relief Agency scandal. Thank you again for joining us, and we look forward to seeing you again next week. Thank you, and good night.